Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Eliezer is currently writing the final arc of Methods of Rationality. While we eagerly await the next chapters, I wish to bring you a Methods of Rationality fanfic written by Alexander Wales. This is an alternative world story which splits from the main story right after the events of Chapter 89, Time Pressures, Part 2. So yes, this is a fanfic of a fanfic. I want to make it extremely clear that this is not canon. It is not part of the Methods of Rationality story and has no relation to events in that universe. It is as much a fanfic of Methods of Rationality as Methods of Rationality is a fanfic of the original Rowling books. It uses Eliezer's world as a jumping-off point. It does not modify it in any way. But it is a great story. I present to you Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Zombie Written by Alexander Wales Read by Ineos Brodsky Based on the works of Eliezer Yudkowsky Part 1 The blood had been washed away. The terrace was immaculate, likely cleaned more deeply than it had been in hundreds of years. Yet it was still easy for Harry to find the exact spot, the junction of tiles where she'd drawn her last for now breath. He crouched down and placed a hand on it. Some part of his brain, the part that had internalized a hundred stories, had expected that the tile would still be warm to the touch. And when his fingertips found only cool stone, the rational part of his brain had said a quiet, I told you so. Hermione would probably have an empty grave somewhere, and the headmaster would no doubt hold a funeral. But Harry wanted to say goodbye on his own terms. Not a final goodbye, just see you in a bit. And for that, Harry wanted to be alone. Hi, Harry, said a familiar voice from behind him. Harry spun around, whipping his wand out in the process, and found it pointed straight at Hermione Granger. He could see straight through her. He slowly lowered his wand back down and stuffed it into his pocket, then took a moment to look at her. She was the same girl, with bushy hair and large front teeth, and she was wearing her school robes. Her legs, thankfully, were still beneath her. She was translucent, and all the color of her cheeks and hair had faded into a light blue. Harry was vaguely reminded of the hologram of Leia in Star Wars. You're a ghost! Somehow, it sounded even more ridiculous out loud than it had in his head. Yeah, she replied. She seemed like she was going to say something more, but decided against it. Harry could feel tears welling up. He searched desperately for something he could say to distract himself. Ghosts are just stored memories and behaviors with no awareness or life, accidentally impressed into the surrounding material by the burst of magic that accompanies the violent death of a wizard. You said that. Well, actually, it was Lucretius Featherbottom who wrote that in the Tides of Ancient Deaths. But it's true, isn't it? I don't know. I had a violent death. I can still feel the troll's teeth piercing through my flesh if I think about it too hard. Harry winced. But I don't feel that much different. She looked down at her hands. I feel cold and I feel sad, but I still feel like me. All right, nodded Harry. He'd thought that it would be years, or at least a single year as the lower bound, before he'd be able to see her again. 
and obviously this was just a pale reflection of the Hermione that had once been, but it was at least something. Not her, but a thing like a video or photograph. If he thought of it like that, it would be easier to deal with. I'm going to bring you back to life. It felt good to say it out loud. I'd like that. But if I'm not real, if I'm just a a photograph, what's going to happen to me if you do that? What do you mean? You'll be alive. No, I mean, there's this girl in the first floor girl's bathroom, a ghost that they call Moaning Myrtle, and she's been there for ages. If you somehow brought her back to life, do you think she'd remember 50 years of moping around a bathroom? Or would it all just fade like a dream? If you bring me back to life, what happens to the person you're talking to right now? Ah, well, um, I hadn't quite thought of that. I'm not sure that really factors into things. Why not? Well, you're not really a... a person, I guess. I feel like a person. She crossed her arms, then thought about it for a bit, and softened somewhat. I suppose what I actually feel like is a ghost. But what I'm trying to say is that other than feeling cold and sad, which I think is perfectly natural for someone that's died, I don't feel like being a ghost has changed me much. I'd like to believe that you're really there, but that would mean believing a whole lot of other things that don't make any sense. I'd have to accept that there's something like a soul. And if there are souls, then why don't muggles leave behind ghosts? Why aren't there any original discoveries by ghosts? I've been in Professor Bin's history class the whole year, and he never deviates from the lectures or even seems to notice that I'm there. Harry, we've never had this conversation before, have we? It's original, isn't it? If I were just a recording, which I don't think I am, I couldn't make up new responses on the spot. Unless I'm somehow projecting responses into you, like with the sorting hat, or parcel tongue, or dementors, or any number of other phenomenon I've already been exposed to. Besides that, I've talked with a ghost before, and they're not really conscious. The only ghost that you've really been around is Professor Binns. Have you ever thought that perhaps Professor Binns is just like that? Your father taught at Oxford. Didn't he ever mention professors that drone on without caring about their students? Maybe Professor Binns is the exception on how ghosts normally behave. You had a name for that when you base all of your observations off of looking at a single example of a thing. An N of one problem. She was making sense. The fact that she was making sense was a point in favor of her not actually being just the magical equivalent of a photograph. And she'd told him the title of the book she'd been quoting from, which might have been dredged up from Harry's own subconscious, but was at least something that could be checked to put some constraints on the problem. What do I think I know about ghosts, and how do I think I know it? What do we think? All right, we. We think we know that ghosts are something like a recording of patterns, but not actually conscious as such. And we know that because I read it in Lucretius Featherbottom's The Tides of Ancient Deaths. But how did he know it? He was a wizard, so he probably didn't do any experimentation. The same would go for other wizards or witches who wrote about ghosts. Maybe there's a way to take a reading of the place someone died to see the magic associated with the ghost. Are ghosts even tied down to one physical location? I don't think so. The Grey Lady didn't die in Hogwarts, I don't think. Nor did the Bloody Baron. The Grey Lady was the house ghost of Ravenclaw, and the Bloody Baron was the house ghost of Slytherin. The two of us could test that easily enough. So the proposal of ghosts being imprinted also holds that they can somehow move from the place that they died? 
That sounds like a complexity penalty to me, but we'll have to research the magics involved. Tabled for now. Moving on. I think I'm conscious. I'm sorry, but that doesn't mean anything. You're just saying that you're conscious, which you could fake by setting up a really simple artificial intelligence program like Eliza. Even my mokeskin bag has a certain level of natural language processing. What we need is an operational definition of what it means to be conscious, one that we can run tests against. He didn't want to admit it, but for a moment it really did feel like the old days, back before all that business with Draco and the blood-cooling charm. He still regarded it as a fantasy, though, one last day with Hermione as a way to say goodbye. It was safer to think of it that way, so that his heart wouldn't break when he came back tomorrow and she couldn't remember anything. All right, let's do some quick tests. Okay, said Hermione's ghost. She had the same intent look on her face that she always got when a test was about to be administered. Hermione Granger had loved tests, and apparently her ghost did as well. You give me a triplet of three numbers, and I'll tell you yes if the three numbers are an instance of the rule, and no if they're not. I am nature, the rule is one of my laws, and you are investigating me. You already know that 246 gets a yes. When you've performed all the further experimental tests you want... Harry, we did this on our very first day on the train. Oh, right. That was one of the little lesson games that he kept in his back pocket at all times. He felt somewhat embarrassed that he'd forgotten they'd done it before. Let me pick a new set of rules, and we will at least be able to see if you can do science. First, real quickly, can you still do math? What's 11 times 43? 473, said Hermione's ghost with a derisive snort. Hermione had always been excellent at math. It took Harry longer to get the answer than she did, and that was another constraint on the problem of what a ghost really was. They could do math, apparently. All right, good enough. He reached into his mokeskin bag and said, Dice! And then took five of them out of the bag that had appeared and put the rest back. He'd had vague notions of playing a game of Dungeons & Dragons at some point, back before he'd come to Hogwarts and there wasn't any real reason not to keep a bag of dice in the mokeskin bag. Each of the dice had six sides. This is a pretty famous one that you hopefully haven't heard of before. The name of the game is Petals Around the Rose. I can tell you the result of a roll, but nothing else. Are you ready? Hermione's ghost nodded, and Harry rolled the die. Four, one, six, three, six. Two, Harry declared. Hermione's ghost stared at it. Does the order matter? That's for you to figure out on your own, said Harry with a faint smile. It was the first time he'd smiled since... well, in a while. Again. Five, six, five, four, four. Eight! Again. Two, six, two, four, one. Zero! Zero? Zero. Come on, start generating some hypotheses. I don't really care if you get it, I just want to see if you can really reason. Hermione's ghost stared down at the dice. Well, you may not care, but it's very important to me that I arrive at the correct answer on my own. So far, the range is 8 to 0 and the answers are even, but I need more data. I was thinking that perhaps you add, subtract, or multiply the dice, 
but that wouldn't give zero for the last one unless you could do something with the order of operations. 2 plus 6 divided by 2 minus 4 minus 1 would get an answer of zero, but that has a complexity penalty. Besides, that doesn't fit with the previous two results. Harry almost cracked a joke about her teaching math at Hogwarts when he remembered that she was dead. Professor Binns had gotten a job, but he couldn't imagine Hermione teaching basic math to people that were her age when she died. He could maybe imagine Dumbledore giving her the position, though, because Dumbledore was insane. He didn't say any of that, and rolled the dice instead. Six, five, six, two, two. Four. Three, three, five, one, one. Eight. Two, four, six, one, three. Two. Five, three, four, three, five. Twelve. Twelve, said Hermione's ghost with a frown. That's the highest I've seen so far. Odd numbers seem to give a higher result. Two, two, six, one, four. Zero. What was the name of the game? Petals Around the Rose. Oh, well that almost makes it too easy. I could figure out that the answer is always even easily enough, and that it has something to do with which numbers are rolled. It's not a matter of adding and subtracting the numbers themselves or anything like that. It's just a simple substitution, and then addition. Six, four, two, and one are worth zero. Five is worth four, and three is worth two. And it's called Petals Around the Rose because you can imagine the center pip as the center of a flower. So on dice that have a center pip, you count the outer pips, the petals on the flower. You got it! He couldn't resist smiling. Well, if you could figure that out, then I don't think there's anything standing in the way of doing original research. He had trouble seeing how he would get around the projection conjecture. If he had thought about Hermione becoming a ghost before she died, he would have had her write down a piece of information that was only known to her. What about memories? That's not part of being conscious. Do you remember me lending you a book on neuropsychology when I was saying that brain damage disproves the existence of a soul? Her ghost nodded. Well, there are types of brain damage that make people unable to form new memories, but you'd still say that they're conscious, wouldn't you? I suppose. Memory, at least long-term memory, doesn't have to be a condition for consciousness then. Obviously, it's not preferable to be without the ability to make memories, but it's not a real impediment to consciousness. He frowned. But we should do some tests on that later. It would explain why ghosts aren't known to have done original research, and why some of them forget what century they're in, and why Binns teaches the same history class every year. There's still the open question of what your brain is running on, since obviously you don't have any neurons firing anymore. Oh, I thought that perhaps it was just my soul taking on corporeal form. Harry gave her a funny look. And yes, I remember that you don't believe in souls, obviously. It's just that... Hermione's ghost began raising one finger. There's no real... Her finger slowly moved up. Evidence. She was pointing at her own face. Oh, come on. You can't just use yourself as an example of a soul. Besides, we agreed that you were a ghost and not a soul. I can be both, said Hermione's ghost with an offended look. Brain damage disproves the existence of a soul, though he was somewhat less certain of that now that he was talking to someone who didn't even seem to have a brain. Phineas Gage got a metal rod through his head and began acting wildly different. 
This is pretty basic muggle science. Maybe it doesn't apply to wizards. What? Of course... He stopped and closed his mouth. He'd been about to say, of course wizards get brain damage, but then he realized that he didn't actually know whether or not that was true. It certainly seemed like they should, but Harry didn't have any evidence that this was the case. It stood to reason that their brains were the same, since with the exception of the magic gene, they shared the same genome and could interbreed. Yet he'd never actually done any research to see whether wizards had the same brains as muggles. After all, a wizard's brain shrunk to the size of a walnut when they turned into a cat, and that certainly suggested that there was something odd going on with how they thought, even if that wasn't entirely indicative of a soul. There were many questions being raised by this line of thinking, and there was one very sensible course of action to take. Let's see how far you can walk. I think it's time for us to do some research. Madam Pomfrey, do wizards get brain damage? Madam Pomfrey's eyes were wide, moving quickly between Harry and Hermione's ghost. Oh, Harry, it doesn't do to associate with ghosts. You'll only drag out the pain and sorrow of her passing. Madam Pomfrey's eyes were red from crying, and it occurred to Harry that he'd been somewhat of a fool to come here, and more of a fool to bring the ghost with him. He was sure that Madame Pomfrey was feeling the pain and numbness of Hermione's passing, and she'd seen what the troll had done to the Weasley twins. It just hadn't been obvious until he took a moment to think about it. Harry himself had wanted to be alone just an hour before, but now there was a mystery to solve, and whatever Pomfrey was feeling, this was important. If anyone knew about the effect brain damage had on wizards, it would be the school's healer. I just want to know whether wizards ever suffer from brain damage. Then I'll leave. Of course they do. Harry felt his heart sink. He wasn't sure why he'd wanted her to say no. Possibly it was because he'd still held out hope that there was something beyond death. Some way that it wasn't the worst thing in the world, even if there was only an afterlife for wizards. Of course, the non-existence of brain damage in wizards didn't mean that there was such a thing as a soul, and a soul didn't mean that there was an afterlife. But brain damage very much seemed to rule out a soul. Hermione's ghost spoke up. Madame Pomfrey, when wizards suffer from brain damage, do their personalities change? Heavens no, said Madame Pomfrey, holding her hand to her chest. Why would they? They get headaches or black out, but I've never heard of anyone going to St. Mungo's with a different personality. At least not from something that happened to their brain. Hermione turned to Harry and tried to smile, but it came out looking far too sad. Wait, what about alcohol or caffeine? Wizards still have stimulants and depressants, and those change how people behave. So are you telling me that a soul is affected by those things too? We're talking about the same thing when we talk about a soul, aren't we? An extra-physical thing that holds personal identity in some fashion? Oh, certainly there are things that can temporarily act on a person, but none that change the way a person is forever, not down to their core. Even strong magics like a love potion wear off after time, and the person will go back to normal. Okay, said Harry, turning to Hermione's ghost. 
That's not conclusive. We need to do more research. I mean, that would indicate that there's a difference between muggles and wizards if we accept that's true. But that doesn't tell us what that difference is. I'm not going to say that I refuse to believe that souls exist. Because if you live in a universe where souls exist, then that's what you want to believe. Even if it doesn't make any intuitive sense. And that doesn't actually answer the question of why muggles don't ever become ghosts. Oh dear, uh, I'm afraid muggles don't have souls. That... what? Harry felt completely befuddled. You're a blood purist? Oh, no dear. Madame Pomfrey adjusted her apron. Though I'm certain Dumbledore will tell you otherwise, it's simply a matter of medical fact that muggles don't have souls, and I don't care how politically incorrect that may be to say in modern age. I don't know a single healer who would disagree with me. That doesn't mean that we should treat them unkindly, of course. There are those who think that just because a person doesn't have a soul means that they're not a person at all, and I hold no truck with that. But that's... how do you know that muggles don't have souls? It was one of the tactics that he who must not be named used. If you feed a muggle polyjuice potion, they won't be the same person anymore. They'll believe that they are whoever they were turned into, since there's no soul to provide constancy during the transformation. Harry opened and closed his mouth a few times. That's... The security implications of that. If you had a captive muggle... Were I you, I would say no more, said Dumbledore from the doorway. Harry hadn't heard him come in. You have a penchant for novel solutions that might be used against you by your enemies. And it is clear that Hogwarts itself is no longer entirely safe from those enemies. He nodded towards Hermione's ghost. Headmaster, why didn't you tell me any of this? There were precautions that I could have taken to ensure that I wasn't... He caught the headmaster's look. That no one was able to polyjuice into me. Precautions you weren't already taking, or that weren't already taken for you? Your robes are charmed. They capture and evaporate any stray hairs, along with other material that one might use in such a potion. Harry felt his head spinning. If a transformed muggle would end up with the same brain as a wizard when polyjuiced, that would mean that you could take a willing or unwilling muggle, feed them polyjuice, and then have a tied-up copy of your enemy. From there you could feed them veritaserum, or use legitimacy if they weren't in Occlumens. And how did that even work? Was Occlumens explicitly magical, or could it be learned by anyone who wanted to go through the mental exercises? And break the enemy security protocols wide open. I believe that this is a conversation that might be better had in my office. Harry nodded. Miss Granger, you are welcome to join us as well. End first half of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Zombie. Thank you to the following people. Dumbledore, Drake Walker. Hermione Granger, Anonymous. Madame Pomfrey by Brooke Davis. 
This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. The music used is Build That Wall from the Bastion soundtrack. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the conclusion to Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Zombie. Build it strong, cause we